This is a long, an ongoing saga. The farms uh, were being inspected, obviously, here by the Department of Agriculture, uh, Food and Marine. There are engineering inspectors. And it became apparent that the farms were basically overstocked. Obviously, there was something trying to be, uh, you know, seen there that, uh, you know, maybe they shouldn't have had as many fish. And we do now know subsequently that, yeah, they were overstocked. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. Last year we covered the impact of fish farming on the famous Loch Marie in Scotland. But what about its impact on the wild salmon and sea trout here in Ireland? And just why is the government looking to help the industry develop further in the face of its damaging ecological effects? Well, for this week's episode, we're joined by John Murphy from Salmon Watch Ireland to tell us more about the work the organisation does, as well as some recent cases they've been fighting. And John first explained how and why Salmon Watch Ireland came about. We were founded as uh, Stop Salmon Drift Nets in 2004. And uh, we had as our membership that time a lot of the Anglican federations. Um, obviously, in 2006, the government decided here to ban interceptory drift netting. And that was a result of ourselves in Stop Salmon Drift Nets and uh, a UK-based organization in the southwest of England who launched an EU complaint and basically then the government was left with no alternative but to uh, ban interceptory drift netting and that happened in uh, November 2006. Um, obviously uh, after that happened you know there was a need for us to change our name. We weren't going to be like Christy Moore singing about others who were in jail that were all out of jail. <laughs> So, obviously, we decided then that uh, we'd like to, we didn't copy uh, Birdwatch Ireland, but we copied Salmon Watch Ireland. We became more a conservation organization rather than anything to do with stakeholders like anchoring commercial uh, fisheries. So, basically, we set ourselves up as a conservation organization, and our, our state and mission was to bring salmon back to abundance back then. Unfortunately, um that hasn't become the case, and effectively this year we're really at crisis point. Um, so I, I assume, look, we talk about salmon farming, no problem at all. Um, we have launched a complaint there in 2020 uh, in regard to salmon farming in Ireland. Believe it or not, there are no currently licensed salmon farms in Ireland. Um, and that forms the basis of our complaint. What happened, just to give you the history of it, what happened in and around 2006 was the EU decided that uh, Ireland's uh, licensing of aquaculture facilities, both shellfish and um, finfish farming, was not in compliance with the Birds Directive or the Habitats Directive. So basically what happened at that time was Ireland went to Brussels and uh, negotiated a temporary respite. And basically what happened effectively was there was national legislation brought in which allowed the farms to continue as long as they had applied for a renewal of their license. So they could only continue on the uh, basis of their um, original license. So basically all the conditions attached to their original licenses uh, had to continue. So it's basically a permit system. Now, that was in 2006, which is now 17 years ago. So we 
brought forward the complaint and basically said this is not good enough. Uh, the sites uh, involved, especially in, because we were interested mo- mostly in finfish farming, basically had not gone through any sort of appropriate assessment for its environmental impact, both on the environment and on wild salmon. So that's the focus of our complaint, and that's currently being investigated. It was launched in 2020 uh, after maybe six months of uh, research, uh, legal research and environmental research, and uh, basically put together a fairly substantial complaint, which has now been investigated by the EU. Unfortunately, um, the situation as it presently stands is that the cooperation of the Irish authorities, basically the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, you know, is not really forthcoming. And, uh, you know, the EU is basically saying that, you know, that um, they're trying to progress it in as far as possible. But there are issues uh, which the department here that uh, seem to just don't want to know but uh, the EU is a fairly strong organisation when it comes to environmental matters, and we'd hope to see some progress on it this year. So that's basically the situation at the moment. You're about, I think, in the mid-30s of operation. I won't even call them licensed salmon farms, but they're not licensed. You have about 30 to 35 farms uh, operational, but... Uh, in any given year, there can only be maybe 10, 11 farms operating in the country because of issues with environmental factors. Uh, obviously, Maui owns most of the farms, so uh, you can see that, you know, farms are operating, you know, at a large scale in various areas around the country. But there are not 35 farms. Like Ireland had, at one stage in the 90s, 40,000 tonnes was basically what was being produced here. In recent years, it's 10 to 12. That's like almost 25% of what it was in the 90s. Yeah. 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 Yep. So it has been reduced that much, simple fact that um, environmental factors have intervened. The ocean is getting a bit warmer here. Uh, You have problems now with obviously sea less, which you always had. But you also have problems with disease and you also have problems with amoebic gill disease, which is, you know, seems to have appeared in Ireland. It was very, very sparse up till around 2008-9, but it appeared here in the southwest and spread all over Ireland and all over Scotland. That originated in Tasmania. Um, It wasn't brought by the farms, but it's kind of a focus maybe on warming oceans at this this causative agent, which is an amoeba, uh, basically has become endemic in Irish waters. And what's happening on the farms now is that they have become a reservoir for AGD. Uh, we are currently pursuing a line with uh, Inland Fisheries Ireland and the department in relation to the spread of AGD into wild fish. And um, you're probably familiar with NASCO. Um, there's an annual progress report, and it is, there's an agriculture uh, section in that. And in recent years now, the part that the Marine Institute writer, the Department of Agriculture writes, is the agriculture part. 
and they have sort of alerted NASPA to the fact that salmon smolts migrating to sea may be affected by AGD in areas that AGD is present. Now, AGD is present all over Ireland and is hugely problematic for the industry. The only uh, treatment for this is freshwater treatments or uh, hydrogen peroxide. So that involves the use of well bolts, et cetera, et cetera, which is a vastly costly uh, factor in, in their uh, production cycle. Um, we would say basically that there's huge welfare issues now in Ireland in regard to um, salmon farming from the point of view of large-scale mortalities. You know, there's a lot of uh, issues in Scotland. I think the issues here are worse. The only the only issue we would have is that uh, maybe it's not on the same scale because we don't have the same scale of uh, salmon farming here in this country. Like Scotland is producing 250,000 tonnes of salmon. We're producing 10,000 tonnes of um, the situation here, like what we what we really suggest is that okay, we're against salmon farming anyway, open cage salmon farming anyway. But uh, in effect, what has happened with climate and warming waters here is that you know, from a welfare point of view, we really really can't be having mortality presented like you're having at the moment. Like I'm living right beside Kenmare Bay here. Two farms that are here in Kenmare Bay near Waterville uh, effectively have had up to 45% on occasion of their fish dying, which is a huge, huge issue. So, you know, what's the future for salmon farming in, the, in Ireland? I think salmon farming has no future. We would suggest that, okay, its impact on wild salmon and sea trout is drastic. We would suggest that as a welfare issue, which we haven't been involved in before. I mean, it is disgraceful that uh, these animals are put through, through that process of being reared at sea in an environment which the farmers can't control. You have AGD, but what you have now with a warming ocean is you have increased uh, phytoplankton blooms, which are harmful and they can be toxic to the fish. You have jellyfish blooms, uh, which is ongoing nearly winter and summer around here. So the fish are just being basically wiped out in those farms. So from the welfare point of view, they shouldn't exist in our oceans here because, or anywhere for winter. But from the point of view of wild salmon and sea trout, their impact is enormous. And yet, John, the um, Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine under Charlie McConnell would disagree and they're all for trying to develop more of this um and, yeah, absolutely and you did absolutely. an foi request that showed and highlighted the disagreement that's going on between his department and Eamon ryan's department of the environment so because on the one hand and we've spoken about this before tom on our podcast is you have inland fisheries ireland and department of the environment who are looking at obviously the ecological consequences and damage that's been done from fish farming you have on the other hand Charlie McConlogue's department where they're relying on a Marine Institute paper that's been pretty much discredited. It's probably about 10, 12 years old. Yeah, and, I'm well aware of them. Um, yeah, which is pretty much discredited. Mm-hmm. And yet, because it suits them, 
they're choosing to rely on this and they're using this as the basis for why they sh- the government should keep pursuing this policy. Absolutely. This all sort of dovetails back into the complaints in Europe. Um, if you have an understanding of uh, appropriate assessment, um, there is case law there are basic that says, you know, the science must be, you know, believable for the start. Secondly, um, how would I say, uh, where you have a dispute between two scientific organizations, uh, you know, there has to be certainty. So going forward, like the permissions that are there are eventually under the Habitats Directive going to be have to be appropriately assessed, especially in bays uh, which have uh, special areas of conservation or have salmonid um, rivers near those bays. Uh, that's going to have to be appropriately assessed. And there is case law to say now, basically, that if there's any dispute, uh, the um, government department or whoever is issuing the license should not issue such a license. So I think the Department of Agriculture are quite afraid of, of this situation. And that is why you have this um, Irish legislation, which has been relied on to continue uh, the farms. Uh, just to go back on that point, um, you know, when that legislation was agreed with the EU, this is part of our complaint, uh, they were to uh, be on the conditions that the license uh, held in its original form. But that hasn't happened. Many of the licenses have been amended, uh, which we consider to be illegal. And uh, we're just waiting for the EU now to consider whether that is illegal or not. But um, that is what has happened and over the years, basically. You know, some of the salmon farms, like one, one salmon farm here across from me, uh, and I'll talk about Danish and now Danish art, which is in um, Canberra Bay. They've been effectively allowed double their uh, stocking of smokes. And it all came down to a legal point where, where the department suggested that their legal advice was that Maui didn't have to stick to 400,000 smokes uh, because Maui said uh, they're not smokes, they're post smokes. You know, this is the ridiculous situation that we find ourselves in. This is there was no legal definition of what a salmon smoke is. Um, you know, that sounds ridiculous to us, but that is what their legal interpretation of it was. But in Danish, uh, which is very, very close to here for me, um, in a in a previous iteration of my life, I managed waterfowl fisheries development group for eight to nine years. Um, Danish was always a problem here. Uh, when that started out in the very, very early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, decimated the sea trout stock here. It made a partial recovery um, through the 90s and into the 2000s. I managed the system there from 2002 to 2010. The farm in Danish closed in 2004 until 2010. And in Chenard did the same thing. They basically went out of business. They went nearly insolvent. They weren't owned by Maui. They were owned by the um, institutions here. So effectively, what happened that time when, and like we saw in our own ways, what happened that time is the population of sea trout recovered substantially. And its makeup, <laughs> what I call its makeup, is that we had 
during its closure period, we had the usual Finnock. We had one pound seed trout, two, three, four, up to 15 pound seed trout spawning on the spawning beds. So it just showed that the population was able to repair itself once those farms were closed. So there is a direct link. Um, since 2010, uh, the farms reopened under Maui's ownership and uh, the stock of sea trout, as you all know, has absolutely and utterly collapsed. Uh, there is no tourism anything here now except for maybe salmon in the spring and a bit of grass fishing in the summer. But there is no interest from outside, you know, the local area. There are no anglers coming here. Uh, it has decimated the local anchoring business, and uh, we are putting that down to those two salmon farms. Unfortunately, the only way you're going to be able to prove that is if the two of them close. And, uh, you know, that's <laughs> that's what we're aiming for, you know, because open cage salmon farm is drastically uh, problematic for sea drop populations and salmon populations, but really, really it doesn't matter. Sea trout, because sea trout are a, a nearshore species. They hang around Kinmare Bay, Banascouts Bay, the various areas in here in Kinmare Bay. They're, you know, having sea lice problems all winter, disease problems all winter. It's, you know, it's really, really problematic for sea trout, and as well as them. And it's just the thing I want to say there, John, and before we move on any further. Were there any other branch of agriculture where there was a 45% mortality rate in their farming? Would it be supported by the Department of Agriculture? But I don't think it could be. <laughs> no, it couldn't be. Um, you know, I mean, you cite that case there of the, the farm in Kenmare Bay hmm. there of up to, four, you know, losing 45%. I mean, that's, that's scandalous. That's, absolutely. It really is, absolutely. you know. But they are fish. <laughs> that's what's been pointed out to us. In a lot of ways, fish die, unfortunately, but uh, any other branch of agriculture, you can add something like that. Wouldn't see them remaining open. Um, it's the welfare issue as well. Now, we haven't really gone into this for the simple reason, you know, we were concerned with the impact it had on salmon and sea trout predominantly, and obviously the local environment. Um, you know, if you're going to farm some of these fish, you know, they deserve some sort of uh, respect from, from the farming uh, aspect of it. But open cage farming in this location, it's very, very harmful to wild salmon, but it's also a huge welfare issue. Um, I think if the general public knew that 45% of the salmon that went into the farms here were dying on occasion, uh, would they eat them? I'm not too sure. Would do people care enough? I'm not too sure about that either. Uh, does, the, does the general public, you know, when they see a side of smoked salmon inside in Duns or in a nice restaurant or whatever, they don't equate that to uh, a farm off the coast of Ireland that's uh, losing fish left, right, and centre and dying? There's a general ignorance, John. All right, and and that's you know. Um, the worrying fact about it, you know, um, I just finished a book and I'd highly recommend anybody listen to read it. It's called The New Fish, The Truth About Farm Yes, I've heard about it. Yeah, I haven't read it. Yeah, it's, it's, you will not, 
look at a packet of farm salmon in the same way ever again if for i just highly recommend people just read it just to educate yourself on it just and i always say anything just educate yourself on it just make yourself aware and when you when you read up on this kind of stuff you know for me there's only one kind of uh, one kind of conclusion you can come to but it is incredible because like when you look at kind of in terms of when they they take you through in terms of the development of um fish farming in norway and how pretty much they were given carte blanche and then the power of the industry and the billions of euros that was being made um, around the world in relation to it, that it's kind of nearly like the, the horse is bolted. And, yes. you know, how, how much further can we allow it to go? Now, I know, obviously, you know, we're looking at hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, closed containment, closed pens on land will be the answer. But I'm just fascinated from an Irish perspective. There is still a... Uh, like are they looking to develop the industry do you think develop more farms in ireland and really try and you know that we're only scratching or we're only at the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much more they could actually develop they are trying to develop farms obviously and expand the industry Um, we and other ngos stand in their way the general public as of yet doesn't stand in their way Mm. it's not a political hot issue for anybody um like we're completely apolitical, but the green agenda, not even talking about the Green Party, there needs to be a green agenda in, in government from the point of view of the environment anyway. But um, yeah, um, we went to the trouble there a number of years ago. It was the last one before COVID 2019. We brought over the lead researcher from Norway into close containment. Now she works for the salmon farming industry and works for the Norwegian government. Um, we brought her over specifically to see what was happening with close containment and uh, what they were thinking about in Norway. Now, what they were thinking about in Norway would not be acceptable here, to us anyway. Uh, basically, what they're trying to do in Norway is quadruple the uh, production of farm salmon. It's already 1.3 million tonnes. You can just imagine what that, but how they're going to do it is they are going to use uh, recirculation systems on land for uh, the production of smolts, uh, bigger smolts. Uh, they're going to use semi-closed containment at sea, but they're going to finish the fish off uh, in open cage farms. So that's that's the big problem. They don't envisage having a closed containment system. And anyone that says they do, you know, not talking right because we went into trouble of bringing that lady up and she told it as it was. She told us what way the Norwegian government were going and not the way the industry were going. Now, there are uh, environmental factors which have arrived on the doorstep in Norway in relation to AGD again, in relation to warming ocean and uh, sea ice problems. So they may have to think again. But I think that industry, as it presently is constituted in Norway and here, will not survive. Now, talking to people that had been involved in the industry over years tell me that uh, the economic losses of Norway will not keep them here. Um, but I would think that's probably an environmental issue that would, would force them out of here, that they won't be able to make enough money. But unfortunately, the damage continues. Yeah, exactly. And actually, speaking of which, uh, I think it's well worth maybe mentioning and just to give people an insight in terms of kind of 
the bureaucracy and how things work over here. Um, if you look at Balance Gallagher's Bay and yeah. the the fish farm, the the maybe just give us the background to that case. So the minister okay. at the time I'm, revoked I'm the very license. Familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the license was was revoked. Uh, it became apparent there. I think the Friends of the Irish Environment uh, made an FOI request. Um, concerning fish farming in Kenmare Bay and various other places. And uh, they got the minutes of various emails and various meetings that uh, happened between the department. Um, this is a long, an ongoing saga. Um, the farms uh, were being inspected, obviously, here by the Department of Agriculture, uh, Food and Marine. They are engineering inspectors. And it became apparent that the farms were basically overstocked. Obviously, there was something trying to be, uh, you know, seen there that, uh, you know, maybe they shouldn't have had as many fish. And we do now know subsequently that, yeah, they were overstocked. Um, what happened basically in Banat Skellis, there's a peculiar thing happened in Banat Skellis. And this goes back to our complaint. Uh, in and around 2010-11, Maui applied for a trial license in Danish Island. And basically, they submitted that they should be allowed to stock 800,000 fish, as their license permitted them to stock 400,000 fish per annum. Now, their license doesn't permit them, it's 400,000 per cycle. But the state gave in and gave them a license. Now, that was subsequently challenged by the Waterville Fisheries Development Group in the High Court and unfortunately was it didn't go their way. Um, basically, what happened then, they were allowed stock in 2013, uh, 800 and odd thousand fish instead of the 400,000 that were normally stocked there. Even though we have sort of uh, historical data would say that was being overstocked all the time. Anyway, um, they put those fish in. That was to last a trial license for two years. But basically, uh, just before the two years was up, uh, they need to restock its boats and they put in another 800,000. So the department basically said to them, oh, we can't do this. And uh, that's where the whole thing started off. And basically, the department investigated the matter. And what they decided to challenge Maui on was a condition in the license that we're only allowed harvest 500, uh, 500 tons per year. And uh, they basically caught them on the fact that they had uh, harvested something like 1,600 tons or whatever in a year or in a cycle. So they caught them on that and they basically said, we're going to withdraw your permission here. And uh, basically what happened after that, that happened in two, April 2019. We were all very excited about it. Because <laughs> this was the first reach. time as well the government had ever revoked yes. a license. Yes. So people thought, great, this is the start now. They're going to come down hard. The regulations are going to kick in. Happy days. Yeah. Mm, well, yeah. Okay. But there is an appeal mechanism, yeah. which, okay, I suppose legally has to be seen to be some way fair. So what happened then was Maui went into the High Court and um, at the same time went to the Agriculture Licence Appeal Board. So basically what happened in the High Court was the judge turned around to them and said, well, you haven't exhausted all the avenues open to you legally-wise. 
So you must go back to ALAB. So that case is adjourned at the moment. So it was sent into ALAB in 2019, the appeal. Uh, we made fairly robust and substantial uh, submissions in regard to it. obviously congratulating the minister for making the proper decision to close the place. Um, and that's still ongoing. And that is ongoing now since April 2019, which means next year it'll be five years. Five years. Now, one thing in the intervening period, John, they're still allowed to continue. Absolutely. Now, they are stocking only 400,000 fish, which was it's too many anyway. We don't want any of them stocked there. But um, in effect, they are continuing injured. Um, so this appeal has been going on, going into its five, 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 five years. years. Now, just, just to put you in the picture there, during the high court case in uh, Bantry Bay, regarding Bantry Bay, you know, we did see the judge basically saying, you know, how does it take a body five, six? Well, in the case of um, Bantry Bay, it was eight years, <laughs> I think, to make up their mind. So this would appear to us to be a very straightforward case. The Maui are claiming the minister doesn't have to um, basically take away their right to uh, continue agriculture at that site. Um, ADAB, I would believe, have, you know, all they have to do in the appeal is say whether the minister had the right to do it or not. They shouldn't be trying to make excuses for it. They obviously overstocked and overharvested the site. They broke the conditions and our license and it's the end of it. <laughs> now, there is no graduated penalties it's either shut the place down or not. So we would have assumed that Maui would, or that ALAB would just discuss it and say, well, yeah, we're going to side with the minister and let Maui go back into the high court and legally challenge it if they want, um, which we would obviously join as a notice party. But um, that hasn't happened as yet. Um, it has been basically delayed over and over again, and the most recent delay would be until next, I think, December. So, you know, it's quite frustrating for us. Uh, meanwhile, the fishery and water is just, you know, it is going and going and gone. Un unless, you know, if we were able to stop those two farms, we might be able to see some regeneration of the sea dress out. If you're a fly tire or want to get into fly tying, then this is for you. Ireland on the Fly have teamed up with Fulling Mill to give away a box of fly tying materials with free shipping to one lucky listener each week. With more than 1,400 products to choose from, each perfectly packed by hand, their new range of fly tying materials warrants closer inspection. Anyone wanting to see them in person and handle them could do well to get along to the Irish Fly Fair in Inniskillen, County Fermanagh, of which Fulling Mill is one of the sponsors. Held over the weekend of the 18th and 19th of November, you can not only see these materials been put to their masterful use by the likes of Jackie Mahan, but you can stock up from Fulling Mill dealers like Rogers Tackle, who will be laden with new stock at the show. From dozens of exciting new dubbings, chenilles, yarns and wools, to perfectly prepared and packaged marabou, zonkers, deer belly and bucktail, the range is going down a storm. And this week's top mover is their new Eco Warrior dub, so be sure to check it out. So, to be in with the chance of winning the £50 worth of materials, just answer the following question. Which county is holding this year's Irish Fly Fair? Email your answer to 
info at irelandonthefly.com and we will announce the winner on next week's show. And congrats to Ina Howard, who is the latest winner, and also to Seamus Nee and Phil Blake, who won the Davy MacPhail Flies. Ian will be in touch. And that's it for anybody that's fished Quran or knows of Quran's history and reputation. Like you said, it's going, going, gone in terms yeah. of the fishing there. You know, and there's the livelihoods there, there's the angling tourism, and all, and uh, let's remind people, the license was revoked five years ago. Was it four or five years ago? We won't call it a license. It's not a license. <laughs> the, piece the, of, the piece of paper the, that was signed. Well, yeah. the permission. The permission. basically withdrawn from. Uh, yeah, and it's just, you know, it, it continues to this day. Um, you know, I mean, we are trying to, under freedom of information, get minutes of the meetings, of the ALAB meetings, but they won't give them to until the determination is made. And is there nothing, John, in their statutes in terms of timelines, in terms of... There is, and that came up in the iPod as well. They're supposed to, uh, I can't remember now, was it something like two months or three or four months or something like that? I can't, I can't exactly remember the time frame that they're supposed to make a deliberation on. But, not strictly um, adhere to then, is it? Uh, no, but they have the right to... Um, basically delay it as long as they inform everybody that they want to delay it. And, you know, the old chestnut comes there, they haven't enough information to make a decision or a determination. Um, It continues and will continue. Now, the farms here this year, I would think, and all around Ireland would have been in a lot of trouble uh, from, you know, ocean temperatures, uh, jellyfish, Algal blooms, AGD, sea lice, everything was a perfect storm for them this year. So maybe, you know, that it is time. Funnily enough, in the draft uh, aquaculture plan going forward by the government, which we made a submission to, there is a number of things in it that would demonstrate that uh, maybe there is a, a change in attitude. Uh, in regard to uh, it basically say that a lot of the bays in the west of Ireland are not suitable for pinfish agriculture anymore due to a warm ocean. So that's an admission one way or another. But uh, whether it leads to anything is another problem. Um, our, our biggest asset at the moment is inland fisheries Ireland. For the simple reason, their sciences, their sciences really robust. And it does show that there is, in certain years, <laughs> you know, there is a catastrophic um, problem for, for salmon. The reason everyone is focused on salmon from a legal point of view, salmon is an annex species, sea trout or not. It's an annex species in the habitat strike. So the European the EU doesn't really have any interest in sea trout because they are effectively brown trout, which have a different uh, life cycle. That they, they go to sea rather than stay in your nice lakes up in the west of Ireland. But um, they're not taught to be threatened. So sea trout don't have any legal standing in rigorous habitats. So that's why, you know, we have to focus. You know, if it was just sea trout, I think we would be able to really, you know, hammer them one way or another. But um, the science from IFI is very, very robust and good. And uh, we would hope to basically say, you know, once there's controversy between the two, 
I don't think the state would be legally able to issue renewal licenses, especially in areas where which are near uh, Salmonid and SACs and Visitors. I think there's somewhere in the region that's thirty rivers nominated around the country, uh, which are salmon SACs. But what, about, uh, what about the one that they're proposing, um, John, uh, the Balnakil of Clagan, Connemara? Yeah. What's the latest with that? Like, because they do want to develop what is a twenty-two cage fish farm? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the latest of it, you see, none of those have gone to public consultation. The, what happens first is the operator, like Maui decides they're going to apply for that farm. And it goes to statutory consultees first, which would be in then Fisheries Ireland and Marine Institute, various other Tashka uh, nominated boards. Then it has to go to public consultation. None of them have gone to public consultation. And uh, I would suspect the reason is that they are legally challenged uh, by groups like ours and other NGOs. Um, they don't want to end up in the high court because, you know, if one fell, uh, if a, a license was to be given in Kill Bay and it was brought to the high court and the high court judge turned around and said, uh, there is, you know, uh, there is controversy here over the science between government bodies. So effectively, you shouldn't have given them a license. So I think they're afraid of that. And, uh, we, you know, we've been in consultation with Inland Fisheries Ireland and various people like that. And, uh, you know, we know their science is robust and good and much better than what emanated from the Marine Institute. Marine Institute science is now very, very old. Oh, and, it's discredited, uh, like, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I would say we would like to say it's discredited. Um, but look, even effectively, like I've done a lot of study on this on this matter, even even their own science does indicate a twelve and a half percent reduction in salmon returning in their trays. Like I can't get away from that. Uh, the IFI research would say in certain years there's a difference. If a bay is fallowed and there's no fish in it, you don't have a sea lice problem. If a bay has only recently stopped smolts, uh, as long as there's only one farm in the bay, are we not going to have a real problem with it? Either you'll have a less effect or a little bit more than if it was followed. But if you have grower fish, you're going to have a problem. For the simple reason, sea lice have become, you know, endemic in that particular bay and are being produced at an alarming rate for warming waters and whatever. And then you have the other issues like AGD and viral diseases. But um, the big impact seems to be in years when there are grower patient exposures. And, um, you know, that's the real problem. And I mean, I think the, uh, you know, Fisheries Ireland research is pointing to a 50% decrease in some years of returning adult salmon. And that's effectively years probably when there are grower fish on nearby salmon. But this is not, you know, the effect is also in Norway and has been proven to be in Norway. They would suggest that the biggest anthropogenic man-made effect on wild salmon now in Norway is fish first. And it's killing wild smokes, uh, migrating to sea. 
they're they're looking at I think a reduction of thirty to fifty thousand adult salmon returning, and if you take that as anyway a five percent uh, survival rate of salmon going back, that's an awful lot of smokes being killed. You mm. know, it's probably what <laughs> a couple of million smokes being killed each year in Norway. Wild smokes being killed by by aquaculture. Now here. Yeah, we're probably getting, you know, obviously smaller numbers, but, uh, you know, no less uh, problematic for, for systems in the west of Ireland and the southwest. Well, for me, though, John, it's akin to the kind of the smoking <laughs> brigade, yeah. you know, the tobacco industry back in the day, or even the early climate change deniers. Mm. Um, you know, the, the science is incontroversible. You know, I think it's fascinating, though, even like it's just in relation to bring it back to and again, just to look at kind of government policy on this. And you mentioned the Marine Institute and just in, you know, there's an article on the, the Salmon Watch Ireland website where you detail, you know, the row between DAFM yeah. and uh, the Department of Environment. And McConnell in his 10 page response insisted the regulatory regime is fully compliant with the state's environmental obligations and appropriate assessments are carried out by the Marine Institute. The Marine Institute uh, said as scientific advisors to DAFM, it is fully engaged in the process of providing scientific advice as part of the regulatory system in place of the licensing of aquaculture. The, this is the, the, the kicker for me. The function of this is to develop the aquaculture in a, industry in a sustainable way. <laughs> like I haven't everything well, you've just explained and talk about, you know, smolts yeah. and talk about disease. But it, talk, yeah, well, it's not sustainable from the point of view of what it's End of story. Like that's that's effectively as it is. Uh, if you brought it on land, yeah, still okay. You know, it probably would. It obviously wouldn't affect wild salmon. It's uh, it's the cost to the industry, and that seems to be the issue uh, from the point of view of the industry. Because I I'd say the industry would have leapt on board if cost was going to be similar. What they're trying to mind there. There are obviously profit lines and whatever. Um, the problem here, I think, is that they will get exhausted from climate-related issues and they will go. The problem here is, though, how long is that going to take? And what more issues do we have, you know, coming down the line with various diseases which are going to, you know, become uh, common or more common with um environmental factors here now, you know, with the warming water and you know, like there's no coincidence that you have jellyfish and harmful algae blooms now killing salmon in cages because like it's just an inevitable fact that with a warming ocean you're going to get more and more. And even with the sea lice, like their generation time is reduced uh, in warmer waters. So you're probably having production of sea ice on salmon crops 12 months a year. Because, you know, maybe years and years ago when the industry started, you might need a bad issue during the winter. But certainly now. John, you just mentioned there, you know, you used to work in the Waterville Fisheries. Um, is this full-time for you with Salmon Watch Ireland? Is it something you yeah, do as a volunteer? We're, or? We're, well, we're completely volunteer. <laughs> Where do you get funding? Do you get any funding? We did get funding during the drift niche. Uh, campaign, we obviously fundraise for uh, court cases like um, uh, we had a recently in the judicial review, not enough obviously, uh, but um, you know, it was one of the, it was one of the issues that 
the um, A Lab and uh, the department brought up that we were, you know, going around collecting money to launch legal proceedings and that we shouldn't be doing that. You know, I don't think the judge took much notice of that anyway. But uh, we have some membership. Uh, we run a conference most years. Uh, during COVID, we ran them on uh, Zoom. But, um, you know, what we're trying to do, like we've conference coming up, uh, you know, I don't know when this is going out now, but we've conference coming up next uh, Sunday morning in Limerick. And basically what we try to do is bring people in that can be informative. Uh, the one next week is on water quality, uh, farming. Uh, there's a couple of uh, guys joining us from the River Shore, from Delphi, and uh, indeed from the River Boyne. And they'll be giving their their ideas on how, how they have tried to help salmon. Because to be completely honest, we're in a crisis mode now. We are really, mm-hmm. really, you know, I, I live beside two or three spade systems here. And I can tell you for sure, I do a lot of fish in here. But um, we had the water. We had everything this year. But we had no fish. Very, very, very few fish. So it seems to have fallen off. The one thing I would say, uh, I'm we're at this, we'll be formed now 20 years uh, next year. One thing I will say, I attended the uh, Salsi conference in France, and it basically looked at all the results from the Salsi project in the North Atlantic. And basically, one one guy, one scientist stood up and said, within 30 years, he said, you could have a situation where salmon will be a curiosity in Ireland. Uh, and he was basing on that predominantly climate. What's happening to salmon at sea? There's obviously things happening in freshwater. There's obviously increased predation. One of the big issues I see is our, our weather patterns that we're getting in the smolts we're going to see. Invariably, a lot of years we have drought during April, May. Uh, a lot of the smolts are going to be predated in, in those years. When we have water, a lot of more smolts get to sea. Um, what's happening in the ocean? Is there massive bycatch? There's huge changes in the ocean. The ocean is a huge place, but uh, there's huge changes uh, with pelagic fishing fleets. There's huge changes with mackerel uh, biomass and mackerel distribution in the Norwegian Sea and westwards. Um, is there a direct illegal fishery against salmon? Who knows? Uh, the technology is there to do it. Uh, you would think that they would appear somewhere on the market. People would be able to see salmon in those numbers. Um, so a lot of theories about 2020 when we did appear to get an upsurge in salmon here in this country and, and all around the North Atlantic. Was that because there weren't as many boats at sea or was it some other uh, aspect of maybe um, we don't understand about the system? Maybe the ocean is a bit colder. Um, the one thing I would say is that uh, in relation to 2020, most of the salmon that I saw were extremely well conditioned and fed. So that would point towards maybe better conditions. But who knows? Uh, certainly in the last two years, um, I haven't seen the figures for the um, salmon counters this year. 
I would I would assume they're busy, you know. Um, what happens in the future? Are we going to have a rebound next year? Who knows? But this is not an Irish problem. This is a problem for the UK, Ireland, Norway, even Iceland. Um, so it points to a problem in the ocean, whether that's man-made from the point of view of bycatch or illegal fisheries, or whether it's some ecosystem change that uh, is ongoing and maybe an abrupt shift in various things. But I go back to that guy in La Russia, and he basically said, look, if things continue as they are, salmon will be a curiosity. How you fix that, if it's a natural occurrence or cause by climate, you can't fix it. If it's a man, if it's man-made thing, you could possibly fix it. Well, I, I get the sense from talking to John is um, you, you kind of get the sense, for, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you think maybe the industry, it's not going to develop as much or maybe there's a bit of a sea change in attitude towards um, fish farming in Ireland and whether it's a cost issue for the companies or whether it's, you know, the influence of kind of the green agenda here that will actually, you know, enforce change. But if there is some kind of light at the end of the tunnel, I bring it back to maybe, I think it was a point you made earlier, is it might be too late. Uh, from the point of view of salmon, it could well be. Uh, but we must try. And that's, a, you know, the basis of the conference next, this week coming is, you know, to inform people what you can do within river systems. But is it is it too late? Was your initial question? It could well be. But uh, we, we have a duty of care, you know, like we, our motto was to bring salmon back to abundance. I think it's our motto now should really be <laughs> to, to make sure they survive some, somewhere or another for the next generation of people. And one of the issues there that we have now in the upcoming conference as well is it's the grain of the population that care about salmon. Most of us are my age or older. And we have a few mem- a few younger members on the board. But you can see that the interest among young people from the point of view of angling and various things like that is, you know, is way, way down. Um, the amount of people interested in conservation certainly is a way down as well. Well, we, we've discussed this before on numerous occasions, and I think, you know, and we've discussed, we won't get into the demographics of anglers, John, but I think one thing, and you've mentioned it here, and we've mentioned it before regard to this is, any like regards, and that was the word sustainability. Yeah, and that that's going to be huge. Whatever about the um, the people you have at the conference, maybe an older age, but younger people, and all people are concerned about the sustainability of any, should we say, industry at the moment. And I think that's I think that's going to be a crucial point for us in getting that across to people with regards to what is wrong with finfish farming. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, going back, like, I mean, the demographics of the thing, you know, we have a number of groups uh, presenting at the conference. Uh, they're all getting on a bit, as the man says. But it's volunteerism on their behalf that they're raking gravel, they're cutting back bushes, they're planting trees and whatever, you know, a lot of this. Okay, there are, there are, um, help, there is help from the financial point of view and the law pro and IFI do provide some funds uh, which can be problematic to get your hands on them or, you know, in the long run. But um, it's the volunteer groups 
and volunteer anglers and people that really care about fisheries. Um, there is a problem with salmon management in the country, and there is a problem with various river catchments. Uh, effectively, in a lot of river catchments, there is no management. Um, now, whether the state should be uh, actively managing river systems, um, I'm not too sure uh, whether money should be provided. Like a river like the Munster Blackwater, you know, there really isn't any centralized management of that. And, but what I what I've always called it was, you probably need a river champion for each river, or each large river in the country. Uh, someone that their their mission in life is to look after uh, water quality first, but effectively the fish life in those rivers, and to uh, alert people to any any adverse um, developments that are occurring in the river. You know, I mean. There are a lot of groups, uh, a lot of uh, government groups trying to look after water quality now. But I think really people on the ground, I know from my own time in I spent probably seven days a week in the catchment. And uh, it was the presence of a person there that cared about it, that you basically were there to look after the place. You basically got the local community on your side. You got cooperation. Uh, you went to the extent that you know people going to do something with the river would nearly come and ask you whether that would be okay. Now, of course, nowadays um, a lot of these things that even I did in the river, <laughs> you couldn't do because you'd have to have all sorts of studies done before you before you've done these. Now they are certain necessary in certain situations. It's probably a bit, a bit overly um, policed now, and uh, you know some of the conservation uh, workings that, that that volunteer groups do. They should be congratulated for, for any obstacles being put in their way. Yeah, well, we've always said it's always been the volunteers. It's been the and the anglers who are the custodians as well. We always say, you know, in terms of that, they're the ones looking out for it. You know, I think of the daughter. You know, people like Ned Cusack, what they did with the daughter. What you know, and they empowered local people um, to do it. But it takes it takes the the one or two to kind of lead the way. I think. Um, but John, it's been brilliant talking to you. I'd recommend people go to salmonwatchireland.ie. There's a lot of great articles, information for people to inform themselves, educate themselves about it. Um, you've given us a great overview in terms of kind of, you know, fish farming, the cases that you guys are fighting for. So keep fighting the fight. And like I said, hopefully it's not too late. Thanks very much, Amy. Our thanks to John Murphy for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus you can keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram and myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.